Tonight marks our last in this series that we've had over the summer holidays in a study and a look at the invitations that Jesus makes in the Gospels. And so far we have seen him call out to weary and heavy laden souls that need rest and so they ought to come to him. We've looked at uh, his calls about himself being the eternal life-giving water. So anybody that thirsts, the thirst of the soul, come to him and he'll make you a river of living water. He's, he's called himself the bread of life and so calls the hungry. He's called the, the, the righteous to stay away. Little, little side bracket, they don't exist. But he said, if you think you're righteous, get back, don't want you. But if you know yourself a sinner, a wretch, and a filthy, evil person before God, then come have salvation in Jesus. He's been calling and beckoning and inviting. And tonight we go all the way back to the beginning of his public ministry, when rather than speaking to sinners in groups and calling them towards salvation, we actually see that he calls the first of his disciples. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, after Jesus has been baptized by, the, by the, uh, uh, John the Baptist, John the Reformed Baptist, and then Jesus went out into the uh, 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 desert and was tempted by the devil and overcame the devil's temptation as a greater and better Adam, and that he comes back in, in the strength of the Spirit, and this is to uh, uh, fulfill the prophecies that Isaiah had uh, prophesied about Jesus, that he is the light coming to that dark place as he goes and preaches the gospel uh, of the kingdom of God. And verse 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 18 says, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who he renamed Peter and Andrew, his brother, who were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Odd thing to be doing if you are not a fisherman. Verse 19, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 20 says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he also saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Jesus comes in this first instance to Peter and his brother Andrew, and he calls them to follow him, and then tells them what he will do with them. And this becomes a, a characteristic of the entire life of Peter from this point on. He calls him to himself and says, I will make you a fisher of men. Not only does it come to be characteristic of Peter in his own life and ministry, but it also becomes paradigmatic and thematic of every Christian's life that Jesus calls us to follow him in faith, to leave behind the old life, as verse 16, uh, and, uh, sorry, verse 17 had said, repent from your own devilish evil ways and turn unto me, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is in your midst, for the kingdom of God has come. Come and believe in the gospel that God's long prophesied through Isaiah, Moses, even to Adam and to Satan at the curse. God prophesied then. God has been prophesying and pointing forward to one who would be God come into flesh to be saviour. And Jesus is merely saying, the time is up. I'm right here. The good news is breaking forth. The kingdom of God is being established. Believe. But in this kingdom of God that was being established and breaking forth onto the scene, starting with the Jews and then breaking out to the Gentiles, in this kingdom, Jesus needed ministers. 
We see from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus would teach, but he will also, in chapter 10 of Matthew, speak to his apostles, the disciples, the 12, also the 72, and he will teach them things and say, what I whispered to you, go shout on the rooftops. What you've heard in private, go preach in public, because this is how Jesus was, was establishing the kingdom and, and breaking forth the news of the kingdom was through chosen missionaries. That's what Peter was becoming, the first chosen and also really who became the, the head leader of the disciples and the apostles in the first century. Jesus was choosing Peter and saying, leave your fishing job. You've had a good, good, good run. He's this blue-collar, uh, fairly successful uh, uh, sort of a backwaters guy from up north. He's he's been fishing with his brother and his dad's business. They do okay, but he's now being called to to leave the life of fishing for fish and now follow Jesus, who would then make him in turn one who fishes souls. It, it really, to be one who has the message of the gospel that the King is here. Salvation started, it can be received by faith alone, and therefore going and speaking to people like one might hang a, hang a baited hook into the water in our day, or back in their days you might cast a net over the waters to drag fish in, so also Peter was being called to do this for the kingdom, bring souls into the kingdom of God. The first thing that we see here in Jesus saying, follow me and I'll make you fisher of, fishers of men, what we see is Jesus starts out his mission knowing that he needs other preachers. He's going to utilize this until the end of the world as the means by which he builds his kingdom by taking preachers to himself. And I don't mean preachers with a capital P, pastor and elders. I mean preachers as in human beings who carry around the message of the gospel, whether we're 12 or whether we are 82, whether we are male or female, ordained pastors or not. Each one of us is the means by which Jesus grows the kingdom. And we see this even at the very beginning of his ministry. He calls men to himself, gives them the ordination of being a gospel bearer, a gospel missionary, and sends them out into their work. And by the fact that Jesus started that, did that his whole ministry, called them fishers of men, and that since it still goes on now, since the New Testament commands it, we conclude this, that mankind needs fishing. Now, there's an analogy there. I know some of you live up by the rivers and that's all you know how to do. But the mankind needs spiritually, they need to be fished out of their natural state lest they die. In other words, Jesus is saying, left alone, individuals, nations, groups of people, souls, immortal souls, if left alone, if the king of kings, if the son of man, if the, 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 the lord of the church does not come into the world, die for their sins, and then send missionaries to them, if something does not happen to radically alter their course of life, everybody from womb to tomb, everybody from Adam till the last person born and died, every single person in, in the West and in the East, in the North and the South, every single person from whatever religious background and any kind of ethnicity, every single person is, is like a fish going down a river a, with the stream going towards a waterfall and at the bottom is the second death, the lake of burning sulfur. Jesus is picturing for us this reality that the church, empowered by Jesus, stands as a kind of dam or stands as a kind of checkpoint over the river, deeping, uh, sending their hands and their nets and their fishing rods down into the water to save people from where they naturally go. This means that if you're not a Christian, 
you are one of those people, like all of us are by nature, and this is if you've been born in a very Christian household, but you don't have faith in Jesus for eternal life. This is if you uh, uh, have never given a thought to religion before in your life. Any single person that does not have saving faith in Jesus is merely a soul uh, going according to the course of this world, swimming along with the river, and what awaits you is damnation, which is exactly what your sins deserve. If you are not caught, if you are not redirected, now we don't think of fishing as really a, a saving implement or action, do we? We don't, well, maybe some of you are greenies here, but we don't usually catch to then take home and put in a little, a little uh, a fish pond. And even if you do, it's still an immense downgrade from the nature that God made for fish. Usually we take them, we hack them, we eat them, right? And usually there's cooking somewhere in between as well. It does, it seems strange that Jesus is using this as a picture of Fishing, it sounds somewhat cannibalistic that Jesus says, come and fish for human beings. But of course, this is what he's saying. They need to be caught. They need to be grabbed from where they are. They need to be transferred from the kingdom of death where they naturally sit. And they need to be transferred into the kingdom of Jesus, God's beloved son. All mankind, man, woman, child of any age and any background require salvation, require something to happen to them or they have no salvation. The logic of this is known and uh, repeated by Paul in Romans chapter 10. Go there with me together. Romans chapter 10. And in chapter 10 of the book of Romans in verse 9, Paul writes, again, in fulfilling of prophecy... He says, this is how Jesus becomes salvation for us. Verse 9 of Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, here's the prophecy he's saying, is, the, is being fulfilled in Jesus. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction. This is what I said before. Jew or Greek, there's no background differences here. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. All who call on him. And therefore, he repeats another prophecy. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is, this is what Jesus has, has implied and goes to show Peter and the apostles. Mankind needs saving, but they need fishing first. There's no such thing as justification by death, which we believe in in the West. Somebody dies, you bet there'll be some kind of minister or paid celebrant to get up and say in front of a bunch of mourning family members, he's now in a better Place. She was a good person. I'm sure she rests in peace, and it's not true. It's not true unless they're with Jesus. We are not justified unless something happens to us, which is, as Paul has said here, unless we call on the name of the Lord. But he then uses his logic in verse 14 and onwards. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How can you call on Jesus in your heart and with your mouth and request and desire and ask for his gracious salvation if you have no clue what this salvation is? You don't understand that he won it by the cross and you don't know the name of Jesus. You, you don't know who he is. How would you call on him? Or he goes on. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? For as it is written in another prophecy, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here Paul is using the same kind of imagery that Jesus is showing Peter. Mankind is lost. Even the house of Israel will be lost if in Jesus' time they do not repent and believe in the gospel as he has just commanded them. You and I will be lost if we do not have this 180-degree turn, if we are not picked up out of our natural living where we are comfortable, where we go according to the course of the world, where we enjoy ourselves and like a fish in water, we, we don't even realize what it means to be wet or dry or in this river or that. That's all we know. We might even look at our own makeup and our own experience and our own lifestyle and say, I, I seem like I'm made to sin. This seems pretty enjoyable. Why are you trying to tell me it's so against the laws of God? It seems like this body is made to do precisely the evil things I'm using it to do. What's wrong? And we say, like a fish in water, so is the sinner in sin. You are swimming according to that way. And unless you are plucked out by the net of the gospel and placed in the boat of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die. And so Jesus calls to himself preachers because how can the lost sheep of Israel or even beyond them the nations of the Gentiles, how can any of them be saved unless missionaries, disciples, elders, apostles are sent to do that work? There are those who must break our hearts as we think of them. That there are people into the billions who will live, they'll they be born, they will live like you or I do to some degree or another. They'll have chores to do. They'll, they'll have family feuds. They'll, 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 they'll have celebrations. They'll have down points. They'll, they'll have things they need to fix up. They'll have uh, funds and bills that they run behind on. They have stresses and anxieties. They have a guilty conscience. They have difficulties. They get sick and they die. And then they see Jesus. And they live their entire life not only rejecting his gospel, not even rejecting his, never having heard the fact of his gospel, having no clue who this Jesus is. Do you know that? That some people, many people by the billions already in history, wake up after death, see Jesus and honestly ask, who is this? Because the scriptures tell us that by nature mankind knows that God exists. That God is righteous, that God is judge, that God is omnipotent, that God is infinite, that God is right and I am wrong. That They know all of these things intuitively. This is the conscience. This is to be in the image of God. Mankind knows God exists deep down. Don't, don't let any of them tell you, I don't believe in God. You might say, there's your confession, but underneath, in reality, you fear him, you know him, you know that he exists. But that doesn't mean that people know Jesus. Paul says, of course... People know God as judge and Lord, but they don't know Jesus until they hear. Everybody has God's existence on their conscience. Nobody has the gospel on their conscience. Does it not break our hearts to think that billions of people wake after their hard and terrible life to see Jesus, that not one of the billions of Christians alive today was ever enabled or cared enough to take to them? Paul says somebody must go. Jesus' call to his church is that he makes us fishers of men. This means that we must go to the lost, unreached groups, but also we must speak to our unrepentant neighbors, those we live alongside. We are to be fishers of men and women, the fishers of souls. 
Jesus is the one who commissions. Jesus said to Peter, you're going to be a fisher of men. He said it to the other disciples. That was then their job for three years while he lived and walked among them. And they followed him. They watched him. They learned from him. He, he taught them. He exemplified this lifestyle. And then they went out and did the soul winning. Did the, did the uh, soul fishing, the, the mankind fishing. And then as Jesus died, they all went back to their trades. And we know in uh, uh, John's gospel, we see that Peter goes back to fishing. I guess, I guess fishing for souls, that jigs up. Jesus is dead. And so he goes back to fishing. And there Jesus meets him and calls him again to the task that he first ordained him to do. But not only was this call of fishing for souls on the disciples and on Peter, it's also on the entire church because Jesus told the church, that little core church, the disciples and the others, as he, uh, one of his, his final command in Matthew 28, he told them, I have all authority in heaven and on earth, so go into the world and preach my gospel, baptize them and train them everything I have commanded you. Surely everything Jesus commanded them includes the first thing he commanded them, which was follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This is therefore a binding command that, that to be fishers of men ought to characterize the church and does characterize the true and healthy Christian. We must all realize that we are commissioned by Jesus, not to the same degree as Peter is, in the sense that he wrote scripture and the apostles had that sort of first generation, unique power and authority, but their lifestyle, the aim of their life, Proverbs 11.30, tattoo this onto your eyeballs, the, the fruit of a righteous life is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. She who wins souls is wise. You use this tiny little speck and mist of a life that we have on this earth to leverage for eternal blessings in bringing souls towards Jesus Christ in salvation you are wise. If somebody could take 10 cents and turn it into a trillion dollars in a matter of only one fiscal year, they would have every publishing agency on the planet asking for them to write a book because they have financial wisdom beyond any other. That's how wise somebody is who uses maybe 80, maybe 50, maybe 20 years that you have on this life as a Christian if you use it in order to bring people into the kingdom by God's grace, you have an eternal, unending, only ever increasing, valuable resource that is a blessing to you and a glorification to God. That is wisdom. God calls us to have it, and Jesus commands Peter to be that exemplary first fisher of souls. Jesus commissions his church to be an army, therefore, of soul fishers. He says, in effect, to every one of us, Come follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Without which, if the church is not an army of soul winners, if the church does not have the commission to save souls, she has no purpose in the earth. The reason we are not saved and our salvation is as permanent the day you first believe as it is a trillion years into eternity. Once you are engrafted into Christ, nothing plucks you out. Jesus told us this in John 6. Nothing changes. You are as justified, adopted, blessed, uh, as, as, and forgiven as any ever you will be. The reason we still remain on earth instead of being zipped up into heaven upon belief is because there is a purpose and a mission and a task for the church to fulfill, which is to win other souls. Without which, we can just think logically, if the church is not soul winning, the church literally has no existence. 
it, it can just take one generation. If there is not self-replicating disciples, if no more new people are being saved, then the churches will simply close and die. Welcome to most of the history of the Australian church. Revival, reformation, revival, exploding, and then a generation or two of, of mostly dying churches. And may God give us life again to see those churches filled. If we don't self-replicate, we die out like, like parents that have no children and, and then the family line is gone. The church must self-replicate. Now, God would never let that happen, but he does let it happen to individual churches. He puts out lampstands, as we see in Revelation, and he takes away their witness in the world and lets them close down and their buildings be sold because they fail to continue to replicate and win souls. Any healthy thing grows. Any healthy church preaches the gospel, and yes, maybe the cynics say, but Jesus said only a quarter of the seed falls on any tenable soil. Yeah, sure, but if we're preaching enough, surely a quarter of those people hearing will at least be able to replicate this church and carry it on to the next generation. We must be optimistic about the power of the gospel. We must be optimistic about what Jesus says to each of us through Peter here in the language and the idea of being fishers for souls. God has, through Jesus, commissioned you, Christian. Now, you may have a lay job. You may have a, a busy job, many life expenses. You may have a busy lifestyle and a, and a big family and lots of other responsibilities. Praise God. He has given those things to you, but he has done so with the continual command, use what you have to leverage souls into the kingdom. No Christian is free of this commission. William Carey, one time, this story comes to mind, he, he was making the argument, a hugely controversial argument back then, late 1700s, if my mind uh, uh, serves me correctly, and he was in England, and he was writing to the Baptist churches and some of the other uh, uh, denominations, and he said to them, he made an argument, he, he wrote out an entire uh, 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 premise in sort of a, 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 a thesis, in a little book, in a pamphlet, he presented it to the churches, and he made this ridiculous, crazy uh, uh, presentation. And here's what he po posed. He says, the great commission by which Jesus commanded the apostles to continue to preach the gospel to all creation is binding on every generation of the church. And they threw him out as a fool. One older man, a much more respected and much more experienced pastor in the kind of church that doesn't preach this gospel to lost souls, so whatever experience that guy might have, he stood up mid-sermon, mid-presentation. -mid he says, William Carey, you're a young, zealous fool. If God wanted us to go to the heathen and preach the gospel, if he wanted them to be saved, he would do it himself. And he's William Carey, not at all disagreeing with that. He's saying, of course he will do it himself. And what he will do is send preachers of the gospel to those people. This was, this was mind-blowing to all of them, but he stood his guns. He was cast out many a time, and yet he established the London Missionary Society, moved to India, saw thousands saved, and saw the gospel still have an amazing foothold in that dark, dark part of the world even today. It is binding on every one of us and every generation and every church to be soul winners. We have been commissioned. Do you ever look at Peter and just think of the amazing transformation that God did to him? That he took this, he took this loudmouth, foolish, actually pretty timid, and kind of insecure and easy to offend, blue-collar uh, uh, fisherman, 
And he turned him into a bold preacher of the gospel who would end up being killed for his faith and refused. He was, he was afraid of being crucified, but not for the reason you'd think. Not because he was afraid of dying or even going through pain. He was disgusted by the idea that he would die in the same way Jesus died. He wasn't worthy of that. So they said, that's fair. They turned the cross upside down and crucified him upside down, naked, next to his dying wife. This is Peter. Do you ever look at that contrast and just think, look at what Jesus can do to Peter? Or, or think of it on a spiritual level, that he took this, just this fisherman, just this dude that, that, that nobody have heard of, had heard of ever in all of, all of Jerusalem. No one was just, they weren't gossiping about this up-and-coming star, Peter. No one cared about Peter. He's a loser. He lived on his uncle's ranch out like the back of the mountains. He didn't have a postcode, never went to school. We doubted the government even knew he existed. That kind of guy. Right, singlets to his friend's wedding, that kind of guy. He polishes his thongs when he's going to a really nice event, that kind of guy. And God used him and turned him into the foundation stones, one of 12, in the spiritual kingdom of God, the bride of Christ, the church. What God can do with us is unknowable. You have, let me say this, you have no clue what you might be if God were to take you and make you a fisher of souls. You have no, don't, don't reason out logically. You're, well, I was always good with people, or I was never really good with people, or I'm pretty great at sales, or, 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 or I've always been fairly timid. Don't think along those human lines. Peter would have failed to foresee what God could have made him. When Jesus says to you, and he said this to you at your salvation, I will make you a fisher of men. This means that if you have the faith to believe it, and if you follow after Jesus as he commands us to do, follow him, he will then make in you such a zealous want and burn to see souls saved, and he will open doors before you that don't depend on your own ability, and he will so fill you with the Spirit and gift you for the mission. It doesn't matter what you've been or what, what you've done or what kind of person you are. Jesus is the one that calls and then creates fishes of men. I wonder if we have the next Spurgeon or the next Billy Graham sitting right here, a, 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 a woeful sinner lost in sin that Jesus redeemed by his blood and may just for his own glory explode and pour out the powerful gospel on this continent and others through you. You have no clue. We, I, have no clue what you might be if you just became wholly committed to the kingdom of God and the winning of souls. How souls are fished. Let us consider this. How souls are fished from the hell-bound river they are in to the kingdom of God. Of course, first of all, they need, uh, <clears throat> in a person's uh, timeline, this is how it works, they need an understanding of the gospel. But Paul says they, they need to be taught him, then they can believe on him, and then they can call on him to be saved. So people need an understanding of the gospel, and then at some point, there's a profession of faith. Someone says, I've, I've called on the Lord. I, I feel that I've been transferred out of this darkness. I, I, I love the salvation of God. I feel forgiveness, forgiven of my sins. I see in the word a, a promise to sinners like me, and I trust it. There we are, a profession of faith. Then we baptize them with water, and then we add them to the membership of a local church. This is how souls are fished from a hellbound river and placed into the great kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. They understand the gospel. They call on him, they're baptized, they're added as members, but that's only part of it. Because if salvation is to be thought of as being conformed to the image of Christ, then to be forgiven and baptized and added to the church and living a holy life is only half of it. 
Because to be Christ-like is to be doing those things that Christ did. And he sought and saved the lost. Therefore, if we will, there is no concept here that we are half saved, but we mean that if we are saved, but not busy trying, praying, working to win souls, you're only living in half of your inheritance. In fact, you're only living in half of the amount of Christ-likeness that he would call you to have. He wants you also to become like him in full and turn back around to the lost world around you and start to speak and pray and reach out to see souls added to the kingdom. How can you fish for souls? First of all is prayer. I remember reading up on one of the revivals that struck Scotland in the Isle of Lewis back in the 1900s. And while this man, Duncan Campbell, thought himself the, the, uh, a humble and uh, a servant-hearted man for God, but he knew what he was. He was a man endowed by the Spirit to preach the gospel and see thousands saved. It, it, it had been his lifestyle for the last number of years. He knew what God had called him to do. And so when he <coughs> was invited and he went to this little Isle of Lewis and he got off in the middle of the night off this little boat and was fairly sure he knew what God was going to be doing, he met Two sisters, very short, very fervent in spirit, but old and literally dying. Like 90-something, 80-something, half-blind, couldn't walk, uh, spoke with a slack-jaw, Scott womans. And here they were, uh, Scott women, that's the plural. And here they were, they would meet night by night by night on their own bed, uh, uh, bedroom floors, kneel and pray. Yes, these old, decrepit women would kneel down and pray for revival. He realized, here's the reason there's revival in the Isle of Lewis. Not because of Duncan Campbell, not because of some anointing he's had prior, but because here were these praying ladies. I wonder if you could do nothing else and you're, you're, you're a slack jaw and not much good at speaking or gathering a crowd or doing much, but you can pray. And to pray is one of the most powerful things you can do in the kingdom. I remember back when I was a youth pastor, there was a... A long list, about as long as the list of kids who came, a long list of unconverted people that I wanted to see added to the church. And I had a friend who was in ministry in a northern city, Bundaberg, uh, represent, and there was an elderly church there that he had a lot to do with, uh, elderly people that had seen the cusp at least, had seen the beginnings of revival in their town years before, but now were largely like these women of the Isle of Lewis, largely housebound and sick and decrepit, or at least aged and not having much contact with the people of their, their community and no youth group or young people's ministry in their church, but he was their youth ministry. I would send my friend the names of these five young boys, these six young girls that I'm praying for and seeing and uh, to, to see salvation. And before I knew it, before the month was out, this was the pattern for four months in a row, every name I sent to them privately in prayer, within a month, each one of them had come to faith and professed, been baptized and added to the church. Why? Because this 10, 15, 20 group of old ladies would get together and pray for their souls. You can do at least that. The first thing to winning soul, being a soul winner, is praying. That is the first and the most mighty thing. But we can be even a little bit, if, if you're willing to pray because that's private and you're introverted and you're scared of talking to people, just pray. If you will allow me, I will give you yet another piece of advice. And that is this. It's very easy because you've done 90% of this. Turn up to church, sit through the sermon, you're doing great, and then engage with people that you don't know afterwards. I know how great it is to talk to your friends and the regular people that you see at church, but what if each one of us has had as our first priority 
that I'm going to speak to somebody I don't personally know, or if we know just about everybody, some of you do, uh, we will at least try to speak to somebody we know to be new. We'll catch them at the door, because I was trying to leave early. I see you. I see you. We always want to get out of the awkward situation, but you'll be back there on the door. You'll, you, before you get your food, you'll make sure they're fed and you'll sit them down and, and then just talk about the sermon. Talk about them. Talk about their religious uh, thoughts, their, 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 their considerations of what's being said and the gospel of God. After church, engage people. I was once talking to a girl and told her that she had you know, she was telling me, there's just no opportunities, I'm far too busy, I can't invite, I don't think I'm one of the evangelists called to be sort of people in the church, there's just no such thing as Christians, the people who aren't evangelists are going, they're the unsaved. So once you're converted, it's your job to turn around and see what you might do to bring others. She goes, well, I've got no time. I said, we were literally after church. I said, you attend at least two evangelistic events a week. She goes, I do no such thing. I said, you're here. You're a church. I preach the gospel. You have to do nothing. You just invite a friend, promise them a coffee and a car drive lift, and you will get them here. Bring them to church. That's something you can do. Third thing, if you're willing to be bold, invite people to church. Where their net is cast wide, and you just get to listen along with them. If I say something you don't like, you can go, man, this guy, who's, who's pastor's he? I don't know. Not how I would say it. But what do you think? All right, fourthly. You can hand out tracts, or I'll even put in this, social media posts. By doing this, what we mean is just getting that seed of the gospel of Jesus and just casting it as wide as we can. Of course, some of it will, be, will go onto the rocky soil and into the, the, the thorny soil and go in bad places and go into letterboxes that are not even lived in and they sit there and rot, but... If God will use it, he might just bring those tracks, those posts, those, those stories, those reels, yes, technological gospel tracks. He will take them to those who he seeks to bring salvation. I, I have a goal. I'll share this with you. I've got a goal and a prayer that as a church, we see 50,000 gospel tracks handed out this year before December, by, by the end of December. Sounds like a big amount. That's less than 10 if 100 people do it every week. I've got a church of probably representing anywhere between 250 or more people, if a hundred of us every single week gave out 10, not even two a day for the mathematicians out there, we will see 50,000 gospel messages shared to people. And if even a quarter of them find people, 20, uh, what's a quarter of 50? So a quarter of that will find their way into those who might read the gospel that they would not have otherwise and have uh, uh, access to the gospel. Or if you are willing to go just a little bit further than that, and even put your own face to the conversation, this is organic conversation. This is uh, as you're at the uh, checkout at, at, at the shops. This is as you're talking to people at work in the lunchroom. This is, if you're anything like my wife, this is you can't buy or sell something on Facebook Marketplace with the husband that you dragged along for the ride to pick up this heavy thing without starting a gospel conversation. I, I don't know that we've ever picked up something from Facebook Marketplace or sold something that the person isn't invited to church. Tom, grab a tract. Okay. All right, I'll get, I'll get a tract. Something organic. Maybe it's while you get your hair cut. Maybe you cut hairs. You've got them captive and you've got blades in your hands. Maybe, maybe you would go even further. And so I can do that. I can pray. I can talk to people. I can invite people to church. And wouldn't we just, we, we have to expand this place if we all did this. I can do that. I can, I can do, be organic. I can just be speaking the gospel as I go about my life, of course. Uh, maybe we'd go on further and say, I'm even going to do something that doesn't require an ordination or a request from an elder or some kind of church organization. I'm just going to do stuff in my own home. I mean, you've got a house, you've got a lounge room, you've got, if not that, you've got a 
car or your friend might have a living room, use that. Do something to just get people around. And your friend who, who sort of did a workout classes and afterwards had a small devotion turned into a Bible study and they ended up skipping out on the training. I've known people to, to have Bible studies in their home and just see it grow organically. You don't need an elder's permission to ever do that. Preach the gospel as you can. I think of Florence Young. I think of Florence Young who was the young English then New Zealand, and then she lived in Australia. She lived up in Bundaberg, where many of the Solomon Islanders had been contractually lied to, basically stolen. They were working as uh, workers on the sugarcane farms, and she, walking around, realized, here's just thousands of these workers that don't even know who Jesus is. She inquired, is there any effort going into reaching these people who don't know Jesus and who are pagans back in their land and, and talking to them about the gospel before their three-year term is up and they ship back home? Is anybody doing this? The Anglican churches, the Methodist churches, they sort of brushed it off. Big dog, not out in Bundaberg. No, no, we're not. So there she goes. She starts a five-person Bible study, which soon enough had a convert. Twelve-person, twenty-fifty-person. Before she knew it, thousands of Solomon Islanders having local Bible studies across farms all over the state. And she's employing, through donations alone, all of these Bible study and evangelist missionaries and ends up going spending much of her life over in both China and Solomon Islands as a missionary because she just started doing a small English language Bible class. What could you do? This is... This is an English-born New Zealand teenage girl. Come on. New Ze do I need to emphasize it? New Zealander. My friends, you can do anything by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or if we not, maybe also we would be open-air preaching. The way that the New Testament shows us, the apostles would go out and speak in the marketplace and call aloud on the corner of the street. Maybe we would uh, uh, do something like that. But then the step after that is always those who profess faith, those who are interested, those who, who receive Jesus, we plug them into the local church. How many evangelists out there have either no connection to or no room in their evangelism to bring newborn souls and plug them into a local church? So important. So important for their growth and for the growth of the church. And then you walk alongside them. You, I, there's almost nothing more practical for a new convert than for you, somebody who knows a bit more than them, who prayed for them, who, who told them the gospel to just meet up with them every fortnight for as long as it looks like they need it, and maybe this is years, and just catch up with them once a fortnight, go through the Bible, answer their questions, and pray together. Every single Christian can do that. In the language of fishing, as Jesus calls us, fishers of men, we all know uh, the, the friend who talks about the one that got away. Oh, enormous. It was, you wouldn't believe it, the fish that just happened to get away. But any evangelist who's been around the tracks a bit knows the pain of that reality with souls. Somebody who has seemed so close to the kingdom, or, or maybe even they, they had seemed to make a valid profession and be baptized, and then they slipped out of your, your thinking, or you stopped praying for them, and it's months before you realize they're not here anymore. You're months, and you, and you realize deep down, I didn't care for them enough, I didn't get around them enough, and where does that leave them? We don't know, but we can pray for them. But friends, newborn souls, freshly caught fish, need pastoring, need help, and need support. There are some of us, as we consider and come to a close, as we consider Jesus' call to every Christian to follow Jesus, be like him, watch his life, watch his teaching, absorb it all, and he's the one who will make you fishers of men. If you really are 
following after him, he will make you into his likeness, one who cannot sleep while souls are being lost. We think we have lots of knowledge and we have tremendous theology. And this is the fisherman just with pristine nets, fresh out of the package, straight from Finland, just the best fish nets there are, but we're not throwing them in. We're not catching fish. And Jesus says, fish for souls. Some of us have, have a harpoon gun, right? And these are the secret sensitive types. They think they have the best methods, the greatest uh, 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 tactics to be able to bring souls into the kingdom. You put them anywhere near a sinner, they'll get a profession from them. I, no, no, you don't need something fancy. You don't need to be impressed with yourself. Are you fishing? I don't care about what methods you're using. I'll say that again. I don't care what methods you are using, socially acceptable, legal or not. As long as the gospel is being preached, and you make of that whatever you will, as long as the gospel, I had a friend ask me this last week, and they go, yeah, I've been letterbox dropping. There's these big signs, no religious material, no trash, you know, junk mail. What do I do? They go, is this religious or is this gospel? He goes, well, it's gospel. There you go. Is this junk mail or is this gospel? This is gospel. There you go. Stuff the sign. The council can ask questions later. I'm on the other end of the email when they start sending us fines. It's okay. Whatever means we might use, let us get the gospel to people's ears and pray that it brings so some people will boast that they're simply surrounded by fish. You know, they're, they're the Christian that has so many non-Christian friends. They're really in the world and they, they're, they're affecting them for Christ. And so my question is not how many are around you. Of course, my question may be, may be, are you starting to swim like them? But my question is, are you catching them? It doesn't make you an evangelist because you have lots of unchristian friends. It makes you an evangelist if God uses you to add them to the kingdom. Fish for souls. Maybe you have a calling of God on your life for lifelong ministry, but you're in a state of frozen because of, of, of being frozen because you, you're afraid of failure. You need to fish. The path to ministry is riddled with failure. You will fail. Look at Peter. Didn't he deny Jesus three times? Then go back to fishing? Yet Jesus came again and said, You need to pastor and feed the sheep. We must fish for souls. Salvation is becoming more like Jesus, first by justification, forgiveness, and adoption, and then walking after him and following him. Many Christians know the story of Peter and Andrew and the others, how, how uh, they failed. They fished all night, and they failed to catch any fish. They were dejected and distraught, and they were sick of any kind of idea. That's no, go out and try again. We've done it all night. How, how annoying it is to be a failure of a fisherman without any fish. But most Christians are just perfectly happy to coast on through life with a good Bible, a nice church, get to heaven without any fish, without any souls having been added to the kingdom through us, because that just wasn't my calling. It's not true. It's the calling of every single one of us. Like a farmer with no crop. Like a mother with no children. Like a fisherman with no fish. Or like a king with no plunder because the battle was lost. So is every Christian without a record of some people being added to the kingdom through their ministry. We can all pray. We can all speak. We can all evangelize. And so we must. C.S. Lewis spoke of it this way. This is how, this is what I'm, uh, uh, this quote is about thinking of human souls as more than merely people. It is a serious thing to live in a society with possible, 
gods and goddesses. Mind his poetic play. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person that you know <clears throat> will one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror that, you, if you would now meet, you would think it a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other person to one or other of these destinations. He's talking about glorified life and, and, and resurrected unto damnation and destruction. Every person you deal with is going to one of those two places. And with every interaction, we push them one way or the other. He says, it is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all of our friendships, all of our loves, all of our play and politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never spoken to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours... What the, as the life of a gnat, but it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, are rude to and exploit, immortal horrors or potentially immortal splendors. Every human you deal with will one day be resurrected magnificently for destruction or resurrected in glory. And we have the responsibility of we are always, in this overwhelming understanding, pushing people closer to one of those possibilities. John, John G. Payton said this, life. He was a missionary to what is now Vanuatu. Suffered horrendously as Scotsman. Persevered to the end. He says life, any life, any life would be well spent under any conceivable conditions in bringing one human soul to know and love and serve God and his son, and thereby securing for yourself at least one heavenly temple where your name and memory are engraved forever in affectionate thanks to God, a regenerate heart in heaven. That fame will prove immortal when all the poems and monuments and pyramids and statues of earth have gone into the dust. Is this not the kind of glory you seek? Not one of humankind, not one of pyramids and statues and plaques, but one where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were given just this, this, this inkling of a life, this twinkle of an eye where you lived, and you leveraged it to bring by prayer and speech, by your behavior and your working. You brought souls into the kingdom by the glory and the power of the Spirit. What blessings, even without any additional rewards, is not seeing souls in heaven that are there because of your ministry just enough? So tonight, every single one of us either needs to be fished from the lake going to hell, or we need to become more busy than you are, no matter how busy you are, more busy than you are in the fishing for souls. If you're an unbeliever, and you are still in your sin, and you reject Jesus, or you misunderstand the gospel, you need to ask the person who invited you if they would explain to you the gospel and pray with you. You need to trust in Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again to be your life. And for those of us who know Jesus, let us be like him, follow after him, and pray that God would do such a work in our life 
and our lives together that would be worthy of history books. Let's pray. Father God, we see in your scripture what you can do with people. You take Peter and make him an apostle. You, you, you take the, the timid and you make them bold. You take uh, the self-indulgent and selfish and you make them, them amazingly sacrificial missionaries. Father God, we ask for nothing short of that. We, we don't want, I don't want of this church, I know you don't. I, I know that each true Christian doesn't want to get to the end of their Christian life. Whether, whether in a few moments, whether, whether they're in their 30s or in their 90s or in many years to come, they don't want to get to the end of our lives and realize that we have done almost nothing for the kingdom but warm a pew. Father God, would you fill us with the hope and the joy of believing that we are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that we will not be judged according to our sin, and that we are given the Spirit to go and share this good news. Would you, Lord God, do what only you can do, which is baptize this church with the power of the spirit for mission so that we might build up your most holy church beautify the bride and see your kingdom extended by your grace and by your power father god if anybody still sits here tonight and they are under the net of the gospel being cast over them but they are still swimming to death and damnation would you please catch them lord would you arrest their heart would you would you erupt a, a need to be saved into their soul and would you enable them to call on your son because everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We pray this in his name and for his glory. And everybody said, Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.